Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show we have Samuel Hulick, the person behind the infamous onboarding teardowns from useronboard.com. In this episode, we talked about the single biggest mistake that product companies keep repeating when it comes to user onboarding, how Samuel approaches building an onboarding experience, and the key metrics he believes are important to measure. We also discussed where onboarding starts and ends, Slack and Duolingo's onboarding experience and what makes them stand out. And last but not least, we chatted about the relationship between retention and onboarding through Samuel's lens. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode. And if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With a browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Samuel, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me here. It's great. Uh, for the listeners, Samuel is a UX and strategy consultant and the man behind useronboard.com. Uh, we have most likely seen one of his onboarding teardowns. Uh, Samuel also published a 130-page ebook focused on user adoption. So my first question for you, Samuel, is what would you say the single biggest mistake you see being repeated over and over when it comes to user onboarding? Ooh, uh, the single biggest mistake. I guess if I had to generalize it to that degree, I would say that it would probably be a mistake of perspective and and what people, uh, the the overall mindset that people would be using to approach the project to begin with. And as far as those are concerned, I would say uh, the biggest perspective uh, miscalibration that I see is not focusing on the process of delivering value to your users rigorously enough. Um, Instead of looking at onboarding as a uh, an, an area of opportunity to really cement the relationship that people are looking to start with you by helping them get to a really valuable place. A lot of times people look at onboarding as an opportunity to force people by the ear through a tour of the company's favorite features or something along those lines. So um, I'm often approached asking, uh, being asked questions about how to start onboarding or how to, to approach designing it. And my recommendation is really not to think about it from a UI level, uh, not think about do you include a tooltip tour or an intro video or things like that? But approach it from a, a level of how you're going to engage with the user and walk them through which different steps and activities and which kind of workflows uh, and where you're going to get them to a place of value rather than what kind of different uh, doodads inside your interface you want to show off. 
Yeah, I definitely see that as well. And uh, it makes a lot of sense really just focusing on that value that people are trying to achieve because I think ultimately like at onboarding and sign up is the most attention you're ever going to get from your users and wasting it showing them a bunch of features that they may never ever interact with or, or not really what they're trying to achieve at that point in time uh, can definitely wane on their psychology and their motivation as well. Um, so yeah, absolutely. You mentioned something as well about your process and when you get invited um, to sort of take a look at onboarding for a company, like maybe you want to talk us through that then a little bit more in detail. So obviously like with this problem with perspective is one thing, um, but what would you typically do when you came in to look uh, for a product and how you'd be approaching onboarding? What would your steps look like? Uh, my initial step is to just go through the onboarding pr- firsthand myself, just to get a feel for it. It's surprising how often uh, design teams will even focus on an onboarding project, but not actually go through the entire onboarding process themselves, uh, including going through the billing upgrade flow and all of the different steps that in- are involved there and things like that. Um, so just go through and just try to uh, get a-, a read of all the different details that I can and, and look for areas that stand out to me as uh, parts that were confusing to me and might, might be confusing to other people or parts that felt like kind of an awkward request or weird timing or things along those lines. Uh, once again, looking at that almost, I guess, from a heuristic standpoint. Um, but then the other part that I really like to look into and, and that if I had to choose, I would, I, to between only one of them, I would choose uh, what I'm about to say, which is uh, looking at the data and how the onboarding is performing. Um, there are certainly, I, there, I know that analytics and data has kind of uh, a good side of its reputation and especially, I guess, in the UX community or in, in the design world, uh, kind of mixed experiences for people. But for me, um, there are at least a, a few different reports that I really like to run that can be particularly illuminating. Um, and just seeing how far people are making into the process what that has to do with their conversion rates and retention rates and things along those lines, um, and then make some much more strategic decisions based off of what the the data says there, rather than just coming in and solely operating from a heuristic standpoint. Yeah, and do you maybe want to talk us through that a little bit more detail? So, like, when you're coming in, you want to be looking at data and specifically on onboarding, like what are some of the metrics that you're looking at? What are some of the reports that are most interesting to you to understand and perform how like onboarding is performing? Sure. So one of the, the very first report that I like to look at is if we uh, pick two points in a timeline, one being when people sign up and the other being when they first produce value for the company uh, in whatever sort of business value they're looking for, if that's viral growth or probably just revenue creation when's the first time that they they flip over to to being a contributor a positive contributor in that regard um and then just look at that broken out over weekly cohorts if there are enough participants to be able to reach statistical significance on a weekly basis and just say all right in the 23rd week of the year um you brought in 6000 people and converted 800 of them and you know here's the 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 conversion rate for what that is and breaking that down week over week over week we can track where that conversion rate is trending and try to pull that up into into a place that's going to be more uh, financially effective and rewarding Um, so that's one of them another big one that i really like to look at is uh, again looking at those two points in the timeline where people start when they sign up and where they end up when they're becoming paying users 
and looking at all the required steps that are in between. Maybe there are some steps that you require in your onboarding experience itself, either by going through a tour or pretending to create a new project or something like that. Uh, and then there are also just going to be necessary steps of what somebody has to do to go through the process of actually paying the money and going through the billing flow and so on and so forth. Um, and so I really like to see where you're losing the most people along the lines in that regard uh, and, and, and use that to, to laser in even more into the exact part of the workflow where the most attrition is taking place. Interesting. Uh, and I think like what you've just mentioned, like uh, billing a couple of times, and I think this is maybe something uh, to share about and obviously it depends on the type of business uh, that you're in and if you're offering a free trial or premium or if it's just pay up front. But in your uh, perspective, like where do you see onboarding starting and stopping? Uh, and I think like this has been a debate on the show before as well in terms of what onboarding actually is and entails. So maybe you want to talk us through from your perspective, like how you see this challenge and this problem and where it starts and ends. Sure. I, I would say I, I take a pretty broad view um, for onboarding specifically, where if uh, you release a new feature, for example, and you have somebody who's already totally up to speed with the rest of your product, there's still going to be an onboarding opportunity with that. Um, or just any capabilities that people could be taking on or using to their advantage that they aren't, I would also highlight as onboarding opportunities. So from maybe it's overly convenient considering my chosen uh, profession and the shingle that I hang out, but uh, I, I, I like to think of onboarding in broad enough terms where it could be applied to essentially any situation where what somebody could be receiving value-wise um, is not currently being received and, and as a, a means of transfer, transferring them to a better situation where they are taking on those capabilities. Um, that being said, if we're looking at it from a data standpoint, you got to draw the boundary somewhere. And so for practical reasons, uh, especially regarding reporting and, and things along those lines, I will usually say that onboarding starts uh, when somebody creates their account or at least the furthest back that you can go with a persistent ID and knowing what somebody did from one step to another and not just using aggregate data uh, like you might use for like a split test on your homepage or something like that. Um, and then it concludes, in my opinion, when they have produced value for themselves and produced value for your company. Uh, and that goes back to what I was mentioning before as far as finding that initial data at which they uh, start to, to contribute to moving from, the, from being in the red to in the, in the black, so to speak. Um, because one other aspect of this is when you are working on acquisition efforts and just generating signups, those all come at a cost. And so when people arrive at your doorstep and they create their account, let's say, assume that's the first step in the onboarding flow, they're coming in as in the red, so to speak. Uh, they've, they, they are a sunk cost that you need to convert into something that's benefiting your business. Uh, so from that standpoint, it, it can be a little murky and it depends on exactly what kind of lens we're talking, uh, we're looking at onboarding through here. Uh, but th that's kind of the, the gestalt of, of my, uh, my take on it. Yeah, I think definitely those that work in the space and industry are trying to stretch the boundaries as much as possible as well. I see that as sure. a pull kit from Chameleon uh, himself as well. Like I see they have an onboarding uh, suite of tools and, and software that help you with it. And uh, he also sort of made the case for like onboarding really being about helping users adopt uh, certain features and products. And 
because your product's always evolving, like you should always be like trying to onboard users onto those uh, different changes and uh, like new features being added and so forth. So really like it becomes in a case of adoption uh, and like how do you help customers adopt uh, whatever it is you're trying to to teach them. And I think uh, often low in times like we in companies, we like who owns onboarding? Is it uh, marketing? Is it customer success? Is it uh, product? And uh, I think it, it's complicated answer because it entails like so many different aspects and the lines are so blurred in terms of uh, what it actually is. So uh, it's interesting your perspective as well on it. Uh, so the one thing I wanted to ask as well, uh, you have these uh, teardowns that you, you did a while back as well, and some of them uh, really, really uh, well done uh, looks at the insides of some of the fastest growing companies and how they approach onboarding. Which of these teardowns do you say like one maybe was the most popular uh, that people really, really enjoyed? And two, like in your perspective, your opinion, who do you think is really doing a great job of user onboarding? Oh, good questions. Uh, so, so the first question is just purely from my own the the POV of my business and like which which of them perform the best as content marketing, quote unquote. Yes. Yeah. Um, the the one that I, th- I think that did the best overall was the Apple Music one. Uh, I don't know if that's because the word Apple starts with an A, which is higher up in the dictionary uh, for alphabetical sorting on the the teardown list. Or if that was just, I mean, I know it was very widely shared and I I have certainly observed in in my time in the design world that Apple products tend to uh, create quite a commotion when discussed. So um, I imagine that played into it as well. Uh, the uh, the other one that comes to mind as far as ones that just did performed really well was the United Airlines app onboarding teardown that I did um, and released, I guess, opportunistically right around the time when United was having that problem with dragging its passengers off the planes. So um, I guess that's another example of people kind of uh, it, maybe some schadenfreude there or something like that. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. Um, and so, th- so there's that. And then as far as the other question is concerned, looking at uh, companies, I guess, featured in teardowns and which ones really seem to have the best experience, um, Duolingo is one that stands out to me very much and that I, I, I most frequently recommend people take a look at to uh, yeah, come away with awesome. some onboarding insights and things along those lines. Slack was also uh, a real standout. But Duolingo, I continue. I personally continue to go back and look at that one in particular, um, and continue to find new insights and and lessons to learn and apply even for my own work. So, I, whoever whoever is behind that one, they they really uh, they they Nailed were it. operating on a level of sophistication that most people do not bring to their onboarding experiences for sure. Yeah, so let's talk through those two examples because they're definitely my two favorites as well, uh, being Slacks and uh, Duolingo's onboarding experience. Like you oh, cool. having taken a teardown uh, at these two companies, having really like analyzed the ins and outs of how they onboard new users or how they uh, get them to adopt new features. What would you say is like a couple of things that really stood out for you in these experiences that you were like, okay, wow, this is cool. Um, they've really got a good grasp on uh, this uh, onboarding. I, well, Duolingo especially um, stands out to me uh, as far as just almost philosophical takeaways or just looking at the perspective that they brought to it. 
Um, one thing that's very clear throughout is that they are paying a lot of attention to delivering the value that the users are seeking first and foremost, uh, rather than making their onboarding or their early experience about what they want people to do um, per se, or, or just having um, administrative hoops to jump through that, that were maybe didn't even need to be in there to begin with. Instead, it was very lean and mean and very focused on what people are there to do, which is to learn another language. And that came even before they ask you to create an account. Uh, in, in the experience that I went through, uh, went straight, straight from the, the home screen to picking a language and then diving into your very first lesson before creating an account even came up. So um, the idea of leading with value before you ask for value in return, that's a, a concept that I picked up from Ryan Delk and that has stuck with me for a long time. And, and I think that that is uh, absolutely something that people can benefit by keeping in mind uh, on a consistent basis when designing their onboarding experiences. Yeah, I think that is a, a big mistake a lot of people make is forgetting sort of that user's psychology and moment in time and coming to your product or service and asking them to fill in a bunch of details uh, that's taking time and motivation away from them is definitely not a good place to start. Like I think you've done a good job capturing attention, getting them to your site or to your app, uh, but like you've got to understand that people's time is precious and uh, asking them to jump through a bunch of hoops before they can get to that point in time where they see value from your product is never going to be a great experience for anybody. Um, sure. So you mentioned as well, like uh, Slack being another one then. So Duolingo, like great points, like they really try and deliver value before they're asked to extract any information from you, really trying to focus on like what you came to achieve with them. What was it about Slacks that stood out to you? Like, what do you think they did really well in their experience? Well, it's it's been a while, so I'm not sure how how reflective this is of their current experience or anything like it. But at the time, uh, what really stood out to me, I re I recall, was just the the sense of warmth and hospitality that they conferred through the uh, through the workflow that they put you through, but, but especially in the copy that they provided and the sort of tone and, uh, emotional tone that they set there. Um, that was one thing that stood out to me. And, and then another big thing that I recall from the Slack one is that they had a little Slack bot, uh, welcome you and, and, and sort of take over the, the rest of the activation process. So you go from entering in basic information into sort of just like a wizard form overlay pretty basic sign up practice kind of uh interface and then at some point you meet the chat bot and then the chat bot is the one who asks you to to fill in the rest of the information like your name and i guess maybe your role or or things along those lines and so uh without even really calling much attention to it they actually get you to engage in the core activity of the product which is using the chat interface and, and sending messages through the, the chat line and things like that. Um, and they get you to get some reps in early and use the product to explain itself and get people up to speed. And from that standpoint, um, that's, that's another major hallmark of quality that I look for in onboarding is not only can you get people uh, to be aware of the different services that you offer, but can you get them to actually be engaging in them um, and doing so Valicious, valicious, uh, volitionally and uh, and enthusiastically, ideally. Yeah, I think that's always like a, 
there's maybe even the holy grail of onboarding is if you can actually use your own products and get them to start using the product or service to realize its value and realize all the features. It's something I think even at Hotjar we've spoken about and talked about how we could actually use the specific features more in onboarding and explaining their value um, and uh, really trying to like get them to, for example, we have a survey uh, tool within the app and uh, a great way as well like to show the value around that uh, could be really to ask a, a user a question like how did you discover Hotjar? Uh, once they fill it in, like give an example, this is a great way you can use surveys. Surveys can be set up in X, Y, and Z and really through an onboarding experience really allow them to discover the value, not only what the tool is, but what are the use cases of the tools and how they can be used in their own businesses to sort of understand their customers better. But um, yeah, I think that's definitely those two examples are the ones that stand out the most for me. And uh, I loved Slack uh, experiences. One, I think one thing they also really, really nailed was making the invite process seamless. Uh, so if you wanted to join a, a different um, channel, a different community as well, uh, it was really, really easy specifically as well. If you're at a company level, you have the same email um, and it's, it was an seamless experience in getting that account set up too. So I think they really did a lot of thoughts around how do users join accounts, how do users get invited to accounts, and like how can we make this a seamless uh, experience? Like I think they might have been one of the few first to introduce the idea of the magic password, and then it just got widely adopted mm-hmm. as well uh, across the industry. Um, Definitely. And even just framing it as a magic password, you know, like yeah. it, that's a pretty slack thing to do. So, yeah. And, and very much agree to your to your point about the invitation onboarding. That's something that um, I wish I had brought up as, as, as part of the my memory of the slack teardown, because that's absolutely crucial and something that onboarding tends to be overlooked in, in a lot of product design pra- practices and, and just um, from an organizational level can often kind of fall through the cracks. And even more so is invitation onboarding, in my opinion. It's something that is is not uh, nearly often talked enough about, especially in the case of something like Slack, because you it's it's not it's not like if one person sets up a Slack instance for the company and then nobody else wants to participate that that's still useful. Like I mean, it, it would it's kind of an all or nothing affair. And I remember hearing them saying that that was a, a key part of their strategy, especially early on, was to figure out how to not just get one person to engage, but how to unlock a, a whole team's engagement. And invitation onboarding, of course, is, is going to be a crucial part of that. Um, but it's, it's, it's crucial either way. I, I just recently signed up for Figma um, and a, a, whole, a whole number of different services that are B2B, B2C, any of the above. If, it, if you can get more value by collaborating with people, and especially if that's a key part of your value proposition, you've got to think about that invitation onboarding experience because as, as clunky as, as your onboarding experience might be, at least that person going through it initially is going to have some idea of who you are as a company and have some idea of, of buy-in already because they're there setting up the shop and trying to pull other people into it. But if you're just somebody who works on so-and-so's team and you're getting a random email invitation saying, click this link to create your account or whatever, and you have no other context and you're getting invited into a product that you've never even heard of, that's a really tough sell. So I, I think that you know it's, it's a scary challenge to take on, but it's something that we, uh, 
we as an industry, I think, could could do well to promote even more than it's currently regarded. It's I think it's a, a really thorny design issue and and uh, at the same time, a really fascinating one. Yeah, for sure. Uh, a lot of work needs to be put into it, like you mentioned, especially if your tool is around collaboration and that the team can extract more value. I think ultimately, as far as uh, retention goes, having more users um in an account actively using your product is always going to be like a safety gap in reducing uh retention uh, reducing churn and increasing retention the sure let's talk about that a little bit as well because definitely like on the show whenever you ask uh, about churn and retention like what are the top uh, areas that you, companies can improve and work on like onboarding is definitely one of the number one uh, places that people turn to and say okay uh, like start at the top. Uh, it's much, much easier to focus on a user who's coming into the app, who's excited about your product or service and to try and show them the value they can be extracting and get them to the point where they've created a habit out of your product as opposed to trying to resurrect somebody who's actively made a conscious decision to churn and uh, is trying to cancel. So from your lens, like working on user onboarding, when you're going into approaching the challenge or the problem, how much does the idea and the concept of retention play into your work? And how do you think about the challenge as well when going about uh, crafting and putting together an onboarding experience? Yeah, I, I wish more people would ask that question. I, I think that retention should be a, a major primary top of mind consideration for any onboarding project. If you're not approaching it from the standpoint of trying to produce more value for yourself and more produce more value for your users, you're probably just giving people a big series of next buttons to click until they can actually get into the product. So um, I, I would, I would, I would actually even add a little wrinkle to, to what you had just mentioned. Um, I think you described onboarding as um, getting people into the app so that they can perceive the value that they could be receiving and then hopefully build up habits around engagement, engaging or something along those lines. Um, and, and to me, it's, it's I, I, the one distinction that I would draw between how I see retention being so crucially important um, and times when I don't see or a definition of, of retention that I don't see as important is just getting people into your product and optimizing for time on site or return visits or day over day retention and things along those lines. Um, if that's not inherently aligned with the users getting value out of your product, you're going to be a fighting an uphill battle and B, I think just optimizing around the wrong metrics themselves. So what I really like to look for are instead, how are people pursuing value on their own terms and how can we position our support structure be that, emails, the product itself, our marketing, knowledge base, support, the whole deal of how we support our customers. How can we position that to help them succeed rather than how can we position that to addict them to what we offer? So I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's not what you meant when you, were, when you were saying, talking about building habits and things along those lines. And on the surface, I, I don't disagree with you. But at the same time, when I'm thinking about retention, I'm thinking about it in terms of uh, the the recurrence of value being produced rather than retention in terms of people continuing to be warm bodies who are visiting the the product or something like that. Does that distinction make sense to you? No, of course. And it's definitely not what I was referring to in, in saying. I think obviously like people come to your product for a reason. 
they have a problem, you, they believe you have a solution. And if your product doesn't solve it for them, they're going to churn. So uh, when talking about like onboarding and, and bringing users into your products and creating habits, like that habit really needs to be around receiving the value. Um, so yeah, um, what is it? And we, we talked about this. We talk about this a lot almost every episode, but uh, a really good case I love uh, and I recommend quite a lot is uh, Heidi Gibson. We chatted about how GoDaddy went about uh, this and specifically with their onboarding experience. They were focused on uh, a product that they were trying to introduce, which was a website builder. And what they found was uh, they were trying to get people to set up the website. And that was their first metric they started looking at is like how many people actually managed to set up their website and, and put it live, um, which mm-hmm. served them well for attention. But they also realized then like people aren't trying to set up a website to set up a website. If they're a hair salon, they're trying to get bookings. If they're a restaurant, they're trying to get bookings. If they're an online store, they're trying to drive sales. And I think they're mm. in a fortunate position where they actually have the data around this and they know when sales or bookings are made. So they really then switch that value metric that they consider their users as active and as receiving value from their product and service to those specific cases of like calls booked or uh, meals delivered or uh, online sales made. And once they were able to do that, uh, it really, really helped them to reverse engineer and look back, okay, what were the main actions that really helped e-commerce drive sales. And obviously increasing traffic was one of those. And uh, they were then say, mm. okay, the biggest traffic drivers were, we notice is when companies add social sites, social brings in traffic. And then uh, they sort of taking steps backwards, we're able to see, okay, what are the most important things we need to be focusing on during onboarding now uh, to make sure that we're setting our customers up for success to get to that end value. So uh, and for different products will be different and time to value will be different for a lot of companies and a lot of products. And it's also just trying to understand like what is the real end goal that your customer is trying to achieve versus what are the little steps and maybe potentially little wins along the way so uh, that you want to be celebrating. So one step obviously like is setting the website up and getting it live. Like that's a really great moment. It's a proud moment. But ultimately they didn't come to you to set up a website. They came to you to get business. They came to you to get sales. So figuring that out and then reverse engineering that into user onboarding and how, what are the steps they need to be successful to achieve their end goal, I think is, is very, very crucial in this step. I wish I could just hit play on what you just said and play it for people instead of having to say it over and over again. I completely agree. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so I think Samuel as well, like one thing I ask every guest that joins the show, I'd love to get your opinion on this as well is let's imagine a scenario now where you've joined a new company and churner retention is not good at this company. And um, you've been asked to sort of help try to turn things around. Uh, the company is looking to try and get some quick results, like wants to see action like in the first 90 days. What would you want to be doing with your time during those 90 days to try and help uh, improve retention at this company? Yes. I, uh, the, the first thing that comes to mind for me would be just getting an understanding of, of exactly how bad the retention is. Uh, I find that it is possible to, to pour users in at the top of a funnel and eventually get some to show up at the other end. But retention really is sort of like when things come out in the wash and, and you really start to see uh, whether you're, you're providing something that is in demand or not. So if the retention was, was alarmingly poor, I would uh, probably have different takeaways and I probably wouldn't recommend focusing on onboarding right away um, or even necessarily focusing on retention unto itself right away. I would be focusing on 
on just making sure that I was providing a, a service that was valued by people, period, and getting really clear on who the people who are getting value out of the service are and what value, how they see it on their own terms and trying to make more of that happen rather than just trying to kind of stuff my product down more people's throats. Um, that caveat aside, if I was just going in to look at it on, at a tactical level and just trying to bring that retention curve up a little bit um, or the turn curve up to, to, <laughs> to make the numbers better, yeah. um, some of the things that I would immediately be looking at are one, just getting clearer on, and I probably sound like a broken record here, but just clear on what sort of value people are pursuing, not only in general in their lives when they're signing up for your product, but also what they're looking to make happen specifically in that first session when they are creating their account and, and beginning their hands-on relationship with your product. Um, and what, some ways to go about doing that are to run sign up surveys you can make a an, an excuse me an initial part of your onboarding workflow can ask people at a high level what are what are the different outcomes that you're here to to achieve so if this was a bank which are you here to save money or are you here to uh, provide checking to your business or just basic fundamental um, units of accomplishment that people can can arrive at through the software I would ask people up front which of those are most interesting to them because uh, that opens up a lot of different things. One is it gives you a source of passive information where you can be seeing exactly how those numbers split out and how the different motivations uh, represent themselves proportionally among the people who are signing up. You can also trace those all the way to the, your point of conversion and when people start producing value for you and see how if there are, is a difference in performance as far as the uh, where people were at when they signed up and how many of those people persevere and make it to the point of providing value for you. Um, another thing that it lets you do is uh, provide customized experience user by user. So if somebody's signing up for an app and it's because they want to save money and for somebody else, it's because they want to uh, give their employees checks to write or something like that, you can provide a customized, personalized experience um, where they don't know that it's not the onboarding experience that everybody else is getting, but it's putting them in, in an express lane directly to the, to the outcomes that they personally are seeking. Uh, both of those, I think, are, are, are good strategies. Another thing that I would immediately start looking at um, would be lifecycle emails. I know that you had Val Geisler on, and I'm sure that you two discussed that uh, to, to a great degree, but I, I, would, uh, I would just like to, to give my, my sign of support to that as well. I think that not only can lifecycle emails be really useful in bringing people back into your app and, and um, keeping individual accounts on a path to success and, and long-term retention, but they can also be a really wonderful place to be running quick, lightweight uh, experiments and just getting an understanding of how different terminology resonates with people, when the ideal time to present a recommendation um, of some sort is and, and how the timing might be different from one recommendation to the next and so on and so forth. So I, I personally, um, if I was just coming in cold to a company and was just going to guess where the biggest immediate gains were going to be from an onboarding slash retention standpoint, I, I would assume that it's probably available in uh, an email format first. And another nice thing with that is whatever you learn um, in your email experimentation, you can then use to make yourself that much more confident when you're taking on bigger in-product or in-app sort of changes as well. So that's, that's where my mind immediately goes.
Yeah, and obviously I gravitate to onboarding, but I think that's definitely one of the areas that uh, has the potential to have the biggest impact and the most immediate impact that you can actually feel on cohorts as they're coming in and signing up. Because the nice thing with onboarding is you can actually really start looking then uh, retention and breaking it down like month by month, week by week and uh, having the focus and go not just for like what does long-term retention look like, what does month three look like, what does week two look like, uh, what does day two look like and having these different uh, benchmarks and then focusing on onboarding, you're able to quickly see sort of the impact and changes that you're making a little bit more immediate to that final output metric being uh, retention and churn that might be months away from and it's a combination of multiple input uh, events like having that view and earlier on gives you that uh, way to see the changes and impact earlier too. Yeah not only do you get to see quicker returns on what you're doing but also you have a much higher uh, volume of participants because there are a lot more people uh, around at the beginning of the onboarding experience than there are a couple months after. So exactly, um, and the effects of onboarding as well. So. Yep, yeah, it all cascades further down. So if you can, in, if you can, if you have a ten-step conversion flow, and you can get ten percent more people to step two than you were before, then that will trickle down through the remaining steps as well. So I mean, I, I don't know if it's corny, but I like to think of onboarding as your first opportunity to retain people. It's like you, as soon as they created their account that's your first chance to help that account not turn. So um, yeah, I mean, the, the more that you can understand what those major user accomplishments early in the relationship are, especially to just put people on the right track, you can absolutely see compounding results uh, further down the line. It really doesn't take that long. Yeah. Well, very cool, Samuel. Thanks so much for joining the show today. I really had a great uh, time chatting. Uh, is there anything you want to leave the audience with? Uh, anything that they should be look out for in terms of the work that you're out there and uh, anything in final thoughts? I would just say hang on, hang in there, everybody. This world is crazy right now. And uh, and if you want some onboarding advice, you can go to useronboard.com. But otherwise, just just stay safe and be uh, be excellent. Awesome. Uh, Thanks so much, Samuel. It's been a pleasure having you today and wish you best of luck now going forward. Likewise. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, Subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.